Defeated defending NBA champion Los Angeles 112-104. In the American Basketball Association in the fourth period, the New York Nets 80, Kentucky 57. In the New World Hockey Association, in Philadelphia tonight, the game between Philadelphia and the New Englands had to be postponed because there was no ice. Stocks closed sharply lower today in moderate trading on the New York Exchange. The sales were 12 million. 870,000 shares, 919 were down, 475 advanced, 356 unchanged. Dow Jones Industrials down 7 points, transportation up 0.46, utilities down 0.32, price of an average share of common stock on the big board was down 27 cents. American exchange sales, 2,395,000 shares, losers outnumbering gainers, 553 to 307, 300 unchanged, the Amex index down 0.06. WR Weather Watch update for New York City and vicinity. Clear and very cool tonight. The lows in the low 40s. Tomorrow, sunny with a high around 60. Tomorrow night, partly cloudy, chance of a few showers. The lows 45 to 50. Sunday, partly cloudy with the highs in the upper 50s. The current temperature is 48 degrees. Humidity, 52%. Winds out of the northwest at 4 miles an hour. The barometer reached 30.08 inches, and it is steady. These highlights in the news at this hour, four persons, including two children, killed in Queens' car crash. Burglars bypass electronic alarm system and loot Manhattan jewelry firm of $400,000 in diamonds. Vice President Agnew, in speech before New York Conservative Party dinner, accuses Senator McGovern and his followers of elitist philosophy. Senate adopts amendment to block the president from cutting Social Security payments, food stamps, and veterans' benefits under the bill which would limit federal spending to $250 billion. That's the latest from the WOR Newsroom. Lester Smith reporting. Over WOR New York, your station for news as it happens. I'll be back with another 15 minutes of news at 11 o'clock. And now here's Gene Shepard. station teletypewriter in Bell, California has died in the line of duty. That's a teletypewriter. Dutifully spewing out arrest records and all points bulletins, the machine was apparently shot to death. Good God. According to Computer World, which is a very prestigious magazine in the computer field, the teletypewriter went berserk one recent Saturday night and a policeman shot it. Policeman and officials confirmed the shooting, but insisted it was accidental. I mean, that's in quotes, accidental. That's one more point for our side. And blew that damn thing to bits. <laughs> Can't you just see that cop whipping out his 38 police special? And take that, you pal! <laughs> 
brilliant. Tonight's show, by the way, will have elements of bad taste that many of you can't stand. We just put that in there to let you know. Go on down the dial there where they're playing them Julie Andrews records. You know, the nice stuff. Nice ladies. All right, Herb. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two. Yeah. The front of the steam up there. Miss the train. people with taste. I really do. I mean, they've been bugging me all my life. You know, speaking of that computer that got shot up, now I, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you this, uh, I, I've, I've, uh, I've had the, uh, the feeling from time to time to sh actually shoot a machine. I mean, or do something to it, you know, kill it. And, uh, and that's because we all have we all have souls that carry with them great freights of vindictiveness. Oh, listen! One night I'll tell you I'm out on a turnpike, and I'm driving along. It's about three o'clock in the morning, and and I I suddenly remember something real important that I should have called up about. I should have told somebody something, you know. And I I, I see this little sign, this green and white sign. I'm driving along, it says, food, restrooms, lodging, telephones. You've seen that sign? Don't believe it. I took that damn turn off, and I was wandering in the woods for like maybe a year, year and a half. And uh, finally, I come to this phone booth. It was right there in the middle of the boondocks. And I rush into the phone booth, put a dime in it, my only dime, and it didn't do anything. It just went, ooh. It swallowed that damn dime just like a sunfish swallowing a grub. Well, it was raining out. 
It take me an hour to find his phone. I did not have a dime. That was the last dime I had. That machine only took dimes. And it wasn't about to make a call for me anyway. It just went, oh, nothing. I will not finish the story due to the fact that it could very well incriminate me. But I did something that night to a machine which I have never regretted. And quite possibly they've never traced down the, you know, the miscreant. <laughs> Have you ever thought of yourself as a miscreant? Is it a miscreant? Is that, is that the word? That doesn't sound right. I'm a, a miscreant. You never hear that word used except in, in newspaper writing. Miscreant. Have you ever heard the word? You have heard, and you haven't heard it. Uh, There's a divided opinion in there. Of course, you see there are various levels of literacy, and the, you got to accept that. But uh, tonight, since it is... Hey, that, that, this is Friday the 13th! Oh, my God Almighty, I didn't even think of Friday the 13th. Listen, I'm not one of those guys that puts down superstition. Don't you think you're going to come to me for enlightenment? You're going to, because I, 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 I don't, I don't uh, take a chance, not a bit. It's Friday the 13th. What am I doing on the air? Friday the 13th. All right, if you, if you, if you think you know everything about the world, man, and you know everything about what, you know, the way things are, and if Friday the 13th doesn't bother you, Please, a little scary music. Oh, God almighty, Friday the 13th. Listen to this piece from Brazil. From Brazil. I mean, can you imagine if a piece like this came out and it had happened in, say, Queens? Or it had happened in, uh, in, uh, Plainfield? What a story it would be? Listen, Brazil. So you think the world is civilized, eh? Police at gunpoint yesterday forced two killers to dig up the body of the man they had murdered a month ago to remove a coin from his mouth so that his soul could rest in peace. Did you hear that? Antonio Gino de la Bediera, a farmer, was murdered by unknown gunmen in a village near Recife. Neighbors following a local superstition inserted a coin in his mouth, which according to the legend would help identify his slayers. The neighbors then buried him. Three days later, police arrested two men, Joseph Pereira de Silva and Joseph Barbosa, and charged them with the killing. Superstition says that the coin must be removed after the slayers are found to prevent the soul of the victim from wandering about the Sarayo, the Brazilian wastelands, forever. Can you imagine Gabe Pressman getting hold of that story? A policeman of Queens forced two gunmen... To exhume the body of... <laughs> oh, my God almighty. Now, wait a minute now. This is the 13th. Friday the 13th. And I am not one to put down superstition. Not after what happened to me one time. You know, once you've had one thing happen to you that involves superstition, that it actually happened, you walk under a, a ladder and a damn safe falls on you. 
you don't laugh anymore. You may not necessarily believe, but you do not disbelieve either. That puts you in that terrible limbo. That limbo, that, that uh, Sargasso Sea of the non-believers who wander forever through the wastelands. You see, I've always envied believers. I've always envied people who could put buttons on their lapel. Just one word, what they believe in. Nixon. McGovern. Just like that. I've never been able to wear a button like that. You see, I'm wandering through the wasteland like, like the lost souls of all the rest of those those guys in Brazil. And the, uh, just, you know, the, uh, where do you become a believer? At what point in your life, you know, you must be three years old when, you know, <laughs> you become a believer. Now, a lot of guys pretend they're believers. I mean, they, like, I've, I've known guys that have faked believing in marriage for 30 years. Because, you know, what the hell, what else are you going to do? You know, you're going to get killed? <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. I've seen guys at, at sales meetings faking involvement. You know, and when Bullard's up there with the pointers, and he's pointing at Operation Dynamo, which is going to carry us over, you know, the next quarter century. We're just going to grind all the other radio stations into bits. And he's up there. And then, you'll notice, and in the second quarter, when we begin our new Operation Dynamo programming, which will begin at 8 a.m. on this morning, uh, the salesman will fan out. Uh, Charlie, you'll take BBDNO. Fred, you're going over to Y&R. Uh, Al, you're heading out towards uh, Young and Rubicam. They will... They will fan out with uh, Ed's uh, fantastic new brochures. These are the ones with the center fold-out, which shows our new computerized method of billing. Uh, would you please show them the folder? There, Ed, and I'm not a beautiful folder. You take that there. And, of course, everybody's sitting there. Oh, that's great. Fantastic. There's always one or two guys who really believe it's going to happen. Then there's all the rest who are nervously, you know, wondering whether the smile they pasted on their face is coming loose or not. You know, it's, it's <laughs> it ain't easy, man. And, uh, but, uh, I, I, so I don't put down superstition. It's Friday the 13th. You expect me to come on here with the voice of reason? After what happened to me? Have you ever met anybody that spoke with the voice of reason? No, I mean, very honestly. Or do you define reason as something you agree with? There you go. <laughs> Any politician that says what you believe, that's the guy that speaks reason. Because you think you do, you know? I think things out. That's one thing about me and Emily. We don't vote according to no ticket. We vote according to the logic of what we see in the situation of the day that we are living in at the time. Now, you take all them race problems, and you take all them hippie problems. There's no problem with that. All that guys need is a good bath. You get them guys a job, draft them in the Army, and I'll tell you this, it's all okay. Now, I'll well, <laughs> no, the... the there is no such thing as Archie Bunker. Everybody looks up because this they all like to believe there is an Archie Bunker out there. You know who Archie Bunker is? You. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Has it ever occurred to you that Archie Bunker is a Norman Mailer fan? It hasn't. Well, then you don't know the real Archie Bunkers of the world. You only know the cartoon, Archie Bunker. Oh, the bear missed the train. The bear missed the train. La Speaking of Archie Bunker, this is WOR New York. 
Gene Shepard at Carnegie Hall. Did you hear what I said? I'm going to be at Carnegie Hall Tuesday, October 17th at 8 p.m., unbelievably live. You won't believe it when you see it. Shepard's going to climb the scenery. He's going to scream, yell, knock fly balls out. He's going to chase chicks around in the audience. Unbelievably live, October 17th, 8 p.m. That's Tuesday night. And you had better get your tickets soon. They are $350, $450, and $550. Pick them up at the box office, Carnegie Hall box office, or at any Ticketron outlet. And that's all over Jersey, Connecticut, all of other great places. And the Ticketron number, by the way, is area 212-644-4400. That's Ticketron. And you remember what the time is going to be. You be there, man. This is required. This is my only New York show of the year. I mean it. October 17th, Tuesday, 8 p.m. Gene Shepard at Carnegie Hall. You know, there's a smug sound in my voice. I got the world by the you-know-what. I'm going to... I'm going to run around and do it. Oh, what a stage. Would you please uh, play one of those little things you've got here? One of those things. You turn down the money machine here. The New York, New Jersey American Motors dealers. And they're coming on strong. 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 Cause we've got the quality. Quality. In the cars you want to buy. You want to buy. The protection of AMC. AMC. At a price you're glad to pay. Yeah, sing it, Tex. number one value. Number one. In a carefree way. Number one, number one. What America wants, America gets from American Motors. Finer cars and the best buyer protection plan going. See the cars that are headed for a second straight record-breaking year. See your New York, New Jersey American Motors dealers soon. Yeah. And tell them Tex sent you. Yeah, Tex Ritter sent to you by Purina, Chick Chow. Purina special laying mash in the checkerboard bag. Let's see, we did American... Oh, we got Shoe Town. Yes. And now, the continuing adventures of Lionel Marshall, proprietor of over 75 Shoe Town stores, who in reality is the man known the world over as Super Shoe. <laughs> Today, we find an unusual group entering one of Lionel's Shoe Town stores. Hey, boss, here's some shoes that'll go great with your new suit. Yeah, boss, look at the selection. I recognize all the brand names. Yeah, but not these prices. They are really low. And there's a salesman over there to make sure they fit. How do you suppose they do it? Super Shoe! What are you doing here? Simple. I'm here to make you an offer on men's shoes that you just can't afford to refuse. Let Super Shoe make you an offer at Shoe Town that you can't refuse. On shoes like these. Uh, you'll find work shoes of heavy-duty rawhide valued to 16 bucks on sale at Shoe Town for just ten eighty-eight. Now, you can't gripe about that. Also on sale, men's stretch socks. Yeah, you can pull them right up over your head. Regularly two pair for $1.18. Now two pair for 77 cents. And they really do stretch. These sales end Saturday. And be sure to visit the nearest Shoe Town in Oceanside, Long Island. Yes, say, do you know what modern-day man is like? 
as an opening question for a commercial. Say, friends, do you know what the modern-day man is like? Well, he's a man who enjoys the finer things in life. Means he's become a hedonist, laying around smoking pot, yeah? And Marcus Jewelers know all about him. <laughs> That's why they recommend and sell these fantastic Rolex watches. They are great watches. If you don't know about the Rolex, they ain't cheap either, friend. If you want to be in hock for the next five years of your life, you find out about Rolexes. But the trouble is, no, though they are really fantastic watches. And once you find out about them, nothing works after that. You know, your Agnew watch looks crappy, and, you know, and you walk around. And you know, when you get the time from a Rolex watch, the time is so much more, I don't know, it tastes better and everything. It's really, it's lasting time. When it says 1017 on a Rolex watch, it is, you know, that's a real 1017. Not like the watch you got with those little tin hands, you know. And that 1070, you don't tell me that watch even knows about time. So if you want to find out about these Rolexes, they have great ones. The Marcus Jewelers, located in Rutherford, Ridgewood, Hackensack, and Westfield. Sounds like a very shoddy legal firm. And they're out in New Jersey. Marcus, for an exciting shopping experience. You know, you talk about really fantastic... Uh, uh, you talk about uh, status symbols. You know that I've actually seen... A jewelry. I don't know whether Marcus does it, but they have a clientele with so much money sticking out of their pockets that when people come into the jewelry store, they give them a shopping basket to carry around. Now, I'm not kidding you. All right? I mean, I will send you the name of that jeweler on request. I'll send it to you. You must be a certified art student, however. We can't uh, mess around with any guys that are just amateur pornographic fans. And that uh, they have pornography. Well, we won't get into that. Did I ever tell you about <laughs> any of you? Have any of you ever been to Pompeii? Pompeii. You know what is it, Pompeii, don't you? That's this place, you know, outside of Naples there. You know, where, they, where they, the, the mountain blew up, you know, Vesuvius. Just blew up. Wouldn't it be great if we had a volcano here? That blew up one day and City Hall was gone, you know, like that. And then we could send archaeologists down there to dig up Kretschmer and, and uh, you know, and you'd find Aurelio and all those guys down there, you know, that are making these statements all the time on WINS constantly. And there they are. See, they're trapped. And they're frozen right in the middle of a, just, archaeologists would have a field there 100 years from now. Yeah, they could catch Lindsay and, uh, you know, Kretschmer. And Bella Abzug, right in the middle of a high-level press conference. And uh, Gabe Pressman's forever. He's in concrete now. He's petrified, see? He's forever holding the microphone up. He's got that mad look on his face. You know, he's saying, And now, Mr. Your Honor, you mean to tell me? And, uh, <laughs> what have you, you, know, have you ever been to Pompeii? You know what is what they did? It? Well, I'll tell you. I had to explain it to you. See, the, I, the problem is I'm probably the only cultured person here that's involved with this show. So I'll have to explain to you. I know there are several others. It's all right. I'll have to explain to you what Pompeii is. Pompeii is this city. See, it was a city, you know. And it was uh, about 79 A.D. is when it happened. Which, uh, 79 A.D. That was, you know, that was pretty long ago. I, I don't guess your calendar goes back to that time. No, doesn't it? Well, it, it, you know, have you ever seen these perpetual calendars? Is there anybody out there who has a perpetual calendar can tell us... <laughs> What day, May 12th, uh, 79 A.D., was that on? Was that on a, you know, was that a Black Tuesday or what, you know? Because that was the day that the top of the mountain blew off. It was Vesuvius, Vesuvius, you know, it just blew up. 
And these guys were all walking around. You know, there's guys down at the, uh, hanging around the pool room and everything in, in uh, Pompeii. Yeah, they were, they even, there's one guy that they caught, you know, just got him and instantly. See, this thing blew up and all the gas and all the jazz came down and the rocks and the lava and all that stuff. And they were trapped. They, in fact, some of them were caught, they, you know, like instantly they were gone, see. But they were preserved. Yeah, the, the volcanic ash all came down immediately on them, see. And there they were. There was one guy they caught, and he had a piece of chalk in his hand, and he was writing graffiti on the walls. They caught him just then. He'd just written an obscene remark about Cicero or something, you know. And, uh, well, yeah, that was what that was going around at those days. See, that was contemporary then, you know. Caesar's a fake. You know, he's writing it down there. And they caught him right there in the middle. And there he is. He's forever. He's, he's trapped with his, you know, chalk there. And, uh... <laughs> And so when I went to vis- you know, I went to visit this thing. You go there, you see, when you go up to, to Pompeii. And they have about three different tours. They have one for the, uh, you know, the school teachers from Iowa. You know, the ones with the blue hair. They take them on the, on the, on the ruins tour, they call that. Then there's a second one, see, which they, they take you into Part B of Pompeii. And uh, now I'm just telling you the truth. Then there's the real tour. If you want to, if you want to really see the tour and you look tough enough, they take you, you know, to the real places. Now I might point out that Pompeii was just like any modern city. It had its, uh, it had its, uh, its good side and its bad side, and uh, you know it had uh, places like uh, houses of ill fame and all that. Yes, and there they were trapped forever, in action. Now if you, uh, if you want to really pay the dough, you can go, you can go on the real tour of Pompeii. <laughs> you could believe it. <laughs> well, as I'm going into, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but uh, no, I think culture will do you a little good. And uh, on the way into Pompeii, I got out this this uh, bus. See, I'm, I, actually, it was in a cab. It was a real crummy old uh, cab, uh, you know, Napoli cab. And he says, "Yo, you you go Pompeii," and I says, "Yes." I says, oh, yo, paisano, go Pompeii. So we drive out to Pompeii, and uh, I was with another guy, and we were in the navy at the time. And so we come out. Yeah, that was a. <laughs> we come out of the cab, and there's a there's a crowd of tourists going in. And then we get out, we walk towards the gates see, to see Pompeii, and a little skinny guy comes up and he proceeds to whisper in my ear. First, he described a fantastic set of wonderful souvenir postcards I could get that apparently his brother-in-law had done on blue velvet, you know, souvenirs of Pompeii. He said, you want the postcard? And I said, what kind of postcard? Well, I haven't written to my mother in a long time. He says, the dirty postcard. I says, oh, ah, dirty postcards. Well, I, I, you know, I was, I was sucked in. I, you know I'm how I am. I says, yeah, that's very, can I see some of them? Well, he immediately saw these were a couple of marks. And so he says, ah, oh, he says, oh, he says you, you look like a man of good taste. I have, a with, I have a with me here in my pocket. I have a, very, a real souvenir of, of Pompeii. I says, a real souvenir? He says, yes, a real souvenir of Pompeii. It's made in the alabaster work is here by my uncle. And I said, made in the alabaster works. Did you know that alabaster is the chief product of Pompeii today? It is true. He says, I made in the alabaster works of my uncle. And I says, what is it? He says, oh, you have a keychain." They'll never stop a talking about it in New Jersey. And he whips out a keychain. Have you ever seen a pornographic keychain? <laughs> well, it's made out of alabaster. And he whipped it out. Well, it was an embarrassing moment. It, 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 it really was. He, he did. He whips it out, and he says, here you are. He says, well, you love it. He says, make a very good, very good souvenir. 
He says, you know, get not, nothing like this, nothing, nothing like this back in Chicago. And I says, well, that's quite true. That's a, certainly not a Chicago-type thing. And he says, uh, you, want to, you want it? And I says, uh, how much is it? He says, $45. I says, how much? Well, you know, alabaster is not something that particularly turns me on, although this was made in an interesting form. I, you know, purely from an art standpoint. I must point out that I'm an art student. And uh, no, 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 I couldn't understand why he was talking out of the corner of his mouth, selling such beautiful artworks. But uh, nevertheless, <laughs> did you know that you can do this in the Pompeia? But uh, we're not selling them here. We, we have no, we, we do not have the local concession. However, I wish I did. Boy, would I make dough these days. I mean, just think, uh, just think, uh, what with all the massage parlors opening up and all that. I mean, New York has become, uh, you know, I can just see a guy. Can you imagine a guy visiting us from Sodom? You know, he's a, he's a visiting fireman. See, and he, he comes into town, and uh, he looks around. <laughs> he comes into town. <laughs> well, I don't know what to do. It's just, I guess it's because it's Friday the 13th, and I'm nervous. You know, that uh, it does it to me. So let's get on something clean. Do you think about tires, friends, much? You do. What the hell are you listening to me for, then, if you sit out there and think about tires all the time? Now, I want imaginative people who sit... If you do, though, uh, we'd like you to think Dual Steel Radio. It's a great name, Dual Steel Radio. These are known as the sexiest tires in the industry. They're round, and you can bounce them up and down. You know, you get your... Even if you don't have a car, it's kind of nice to have a set of new general tires in your front room. You know... And, uh, because they're, they're so great, uh, they smell so good. You, you, you know how new tires smell? Uh, you know, there's a certain, uh, I don't know what it is. It's a secret smell, if you like that smell. I know one guy that really liked to smell S.O. Super gasoline. He loved to smell S.O. He couldn't stand Shell for some reason. or They got to be an aficionado at it. He kind of liked Texaco. But it was S.O. that did it to him. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but if you are interested in these radial tires, and I'm sure you are, they're beautiful tires, you just look uh, for the big red General Tire G. And in Brooklyn, you see Bruce at Gannon Tire Company, 2360 Flatbush Avenue. Or Steve, you can go see Steve at 6502 Bay Parkway. I'm going to say, Steve. <laughs> I don't know why I find that funny. I shouldn't, you know, because Steve is probably 12 feet tall. You know, come in and kick in the front of the building. <laughs> Just to show me who Steve is. But, uh, you know, you, you, you fight the best you can. And I, as I say, I'm, I'm basically superstitious. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I always do. Have you noticed this one here is always crossed? Now I can't uncross it. It's been crossed for so long, you know. Well, you, you're looking to see, huh? <laughs> oh, boy. Barnum was wrong. <laughs> I'd say, of course, he didn't take into account population explosion, uh, which means in this day there's probably 40 or 50 born every 12 milliseconds, you know, of all colors, shapes, sizes. <laughs> I mean it. <laughs> the sucker world's getting bigger by the hour. That reminds me, have you got, you got something in there for us? Imagine me addressing the PTA, the first time I ever spoke in public. You seemed a bit edgy this morning. You should have taken aspirin. But I didn't have a headache. I felt a bit edgy, so I took Compose. Compose. Famous for temporary relief of occasional simple nervous tension. You never saw such a wonderful audience. A bit edgy at times? Help take the edge off with Compose. 
Edith, we're only going to the supermarket. Why the hat? I like hat. For the supermarket? Where do you Come on, what's with one? your head? Dandruff. And I used a dandruff shampoo two days She's ago. Maybe it was just tougher than plain dandruff. It can be psoriasis. See your doctor. Help, it's Sorex snowing. medicated shampoo used regularly helps relieve flaking and scaling. Sorex. P-S-O-R-E-X. Tougher than plain dandruff. That's what I call... No hat on supermarket day? I used my head and Sorex. (laughs) Sorex shampoo, tougher than plain dandruff. That's a real romantic little vignette. You know, a guy asking, say, darling, why aren't you wearing your hat? She says, well, because of my dandruff. It's gone now. That's kind of the... Of course, romance is certainly something that Americans are very good at. I, uh, no, no, no question about it. I mean, you sit out there in a Route 3 drive-in, you know what it's about. You know, with a stomach full of pizza, you know, two or three gallons of Dad's old-fashioned root beer, you're ready to go. But uh, <laughs> when you're on that trail... No, I, I tell you, I, I, you want to know what happened to me, though. Are you serious about wanting to know what happened to me? Why I became a, a uh, superstitious fanatic? Well, you're going to hear. Because it's, it, 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 it's, a, it's a story which has, I think, great meaning for all of us. You can't push your luck. Well, I'll tell you what happened. I'm sitting, you see, I'm in about, I, I would say roughly about third grade. Yeah, in fact, it was Miss Robinette. She was, yeah. And uh, I'm sitting in this class, third grade. Is it? By the way, it's a pivotal grade. Uh, it is. You have left the chrysalis stage, and you are now entering the larvae stage. You are still part of the chrysalis world, but you're, you know, part of your cocoon has fallen off. And uh, you keep trying to hook it up again, but it keeps falling down. And uh, you're not quite... Yet, uh, you're nowhere near a teenager, but you ain't nowhere near in kindergarten either. So you're right in between, see? And you're at a point in your life when uh, irrevocable things can happen. I mean, something can happen when you're three, like in the third grade, and it's going to be with you forever. Wouldn't you like to see a film? Just listen to this for a minute. Wouldn't you like to see a film of yourself in third grade? In class. Well, wouldn't that be a fantastic film to see? If somehow somebody had taken an 8mm camera, see, and they just set it up without any knowledge of the class, and they took one whole period of you just sitting there with that dumb, gummy look on your face. <laughs> wouldn't that be a fantastic film to have? Of you in action. Now, that's not the same as home movies, because home movies are never really... They're just extension of, you know, bad brownie photographs. But I mean of you just doing your thing. You know, and you're sitting there, you see. And, and, and you never saw the film. Remember that. That would make it even greater. Until, like, say, 30 years later. Or 25 years later. So you didn't even know there was such a film existing. And one day, somebody called up and says, uh, we have this uh, film. And that you play a leading role in it. And he says, me? What film? Leading role? I mean, because everybody secretly thinks one day Zanuck is going to call and that he's going to be a star, you know, and they're going to discover, you know, his true nature and that they're going to get somebody like a Dirk Bogard to play him on a screen, see? So uh, he said, what, what film? He says, well, we were just going through the uh, records of uh, the Warren G. Harding School, which has just been the, uh, the, the exterminators came and they said there were too many rats and everything else in it, so they just blew it up. And uh, we took all the records out. You did attend the Warren G. Harding School, sir. <laughs> yes, I did. 
where we discovered in the annals of the Warren G. Harding School an 8mm film that is, uh, was taken in the... Do you know the name a Miss Robinette? Does that name mean anything to you? Robinette, yes. Yes, a, yes, a third grade. That's correct, sir. You uh, play a leading role in this film. It was taken in the third grade class of Miss Robinette. I'm in a film, a third grade class of Miss Robinette? Yes, uh, due to an experiment that the university was conducting at that time, they filmed with 8mm film one whole hour of typical action in third grade. And uh, you're, you play a leading role in this film. What happened? Well, sir, I'm sure you remember when you see the film. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. What was it? Can you imagine taking it with, with palsied hands? You're holding this film and you're trying to thread it into your 8-millimeter projector, you know? <laughs> this ancient 35-millimeter film. And it is, of course, it, it's got scratchy sound on it. They've recorded it. And you put it on and you see this flickering. How it flickered. And on comes the, the, uh, the credits. It says, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the Upper Chipip School System. Psychology Department. Experimental film. Third grade aberrations. Filmed under the jurisdiction of Miss W.L. Robinette. Third grade Warren G. Harding School. And then the black goes. My God, there it is. Your classroom. You haven't even thought of how it looked in maybe three or four hundred years. There's the cabinets in the back where the lunches are. There's the blackboards over inside there where they... There's an isosceles triangle or something over there. There's Schwartz. There's Esther Jane. There's... Who's... That's me. My God, that's me. What am I doing? <laughs> oh, stop it, will you? What am I... Now you're sitting there picking your nose, you know. What am I doing? And for the next one hour, you suffer the tortures of the damned as you relive a totally humiliating moment in third grade. And don't think there weren't some humiliating moments that you lived through in third grade. Wouldn't that make a fantastic film? While I'm sitting there seeing this class with Miss Robinette one day, and Alex Jossaway is doing what he always did. Old Farkas is doing his bit. Doppler is sitting up the front there. Esther Jane, the whole crowd. And I'm on my way home now. It's a typical third day, third grade day. You know, I'm just walking home. I remember this distinctly. Coming down a sidewalk. And me and Schwartz and Flick are walking along and Jossway's with us. Jossway never walked home with us. You know how kids form different patterns and they go home with certain guys that you know and and all of a sudden Josway's with us see and uh, he starts hollering uh you know this thing he says step on a crack you break your mother's back i never heard that before i said what's that he said well, you st if you step on a crack you break your mother's back i said if you step on a crack you break your mother's back what do you mean he said, you, ne you never heard that if you step on a crack you break your mother's back I said, you mean you step on a crack in the sidewalk, you break your mother's back? I said, yeah. I says, you really do? I says, yeah. I said, how do you know that? He says, everybody knows that. 
Mm. I mean, you can't argue with an answer like that. So Schwartz is saying nothing, see? So this set up a whole thing with me. Little things start in my head. If you step on a crack, you break your mother's back. Did you ever hear that expression? You did. Did you know that this is literally true? Or did you put it down as just one of them things? Well, I'll tell you what happened. See, for about two days, I'm thinking about this. You step on a crack, you break your mother's back. So one afternoon, about three or four days later, I'm walking home, seeing I'm with Schwartz and Flick. And the Schwartz tells you, step on a crack, you break your mother's back. I said, oh, Schwartz, that's ridiculous. He said, no, really, it's true. Just we said it's true. Everybody knows that. Ah, oh, come on, Schwartz. So I began to step on cracks. I stepped on cracks for about three blocks, deliberately. Which shows you the insanity that man's mind is capable of. Hurling himself directly into the mouth of, of possible disaster. So I stepped on cracks. Well, I got home. You know, it was a guilty feeling. It was a very funny thing because it, you, you know that you shouldn't do it. It's just like walking under a ladder. Now, you, you nobody believes this, but yet you had that very vague feeling, right? Have you ever had that vague feeling when a black cat actually crosses your path? <laughs> well, all right, see? So I walk into the kitchen. See, there's my mother hanging over the sink. What a Brillo pad. I have been stepping on cracks. And I go into the kitchen and open up the refrigerator, you know, and make a sandwich. I says, hey, Ma. She says, what? I says, how you feeling? Fine. What do you mean? I said, I just wanted to check. The next day, I did the same thing. That night, I got home, and my mother had fallen down the stairs. She was in bed. Mrs. Bruner had ice packs on her back. Mrs. Bruner lived next door. And there's my mother with ice packs all over. I walk into the kitchen, and there's Mrs. Bruner in the kitchen. She was never in our kitchen. I says, hi, you know, Mrs. Bruner. She says, shh, your mother's sleeping. I says, my mother's what? My mother, my mother's sleeping. You know, it's going through my head. She says, well, she fell down today. She was carrying the wash down in the basement, and she fell down. She hurt her back. She hurt her back. I have been stepping on cracks for two days deliberately. I sat at the kitchen table, stunned. I had busted her back. Well, the next morning, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm real nervous. And she woke up. I went in to see her, and she's laying there. She says, how are you? Everything okay at school? She's got this weak voice. I said, yeah, Ma, it's okay. I said, Ma, I'm sorry. She says, about what? I said, nothing. I'm just sorry. But she was only in bed about three days. You know, she had a sprained back. firmly convinced that had I gone out the next day and walked on them cracks, it would have been over. Well, this is kind of one of those things that's persisted in our family. The strange way I acted, 
the time my mother hurt her back. She's always talking about this. So about six months ago, I'm on the phone and I'm talking to her back in... You know, she's back out there. I said, I had to tell her finally. I said, Ma, you remember that time you fell down the basement stairs and Mrs. Bruner took care of you? She said, yes. She said, how do you remember that? You're just a little kid at the time. I said, well, I remember it. I said, Ma, do you know? It was my fault. I'd done it. She said, you did what? I said, well... I stepped on them cracks coming home from school. She says, you stepped on cracks coming home from school? She says, why did you do that? See, they believed when she was in school that if you stepped on cracks, you'd break your mother's back. Now she was a mother, and her own kid did it. She says, what'd you do that for? I said, well, I don't know. She says, well, now you learn, right? You never can tell. So I'm just going to tell you, friends, February, January, March, April, June, August, it doesn't make any difference what month it is, if it's Friday the 13th, you never can tell. You never can tell. And don't forget Tuesday the 17th, Carnegie Hall, I repeat, you never can tell. You stay tuned for Lester Smith and the News. This is the news in detail on the hour from the WOR Newsroom. Vice President Spiro Agnew spoke here in New York City tonight at the 10th annual fundraising dinner of the State Conservative Party at the Hotel Hilton. Agnew walked into the hotel through a couple of hundred demonstrators with whom he cracked jokes. Inside the hotel, Agnew took out after Democratic candidate for president, Senator George McGovern, accusing McGovern of making anything but reasonable remarks during the current campaign. And Agnew declared, But Senator McGovern's rhetoric in this campaign has been anything but reasonable. He has accused the President of the United States of barbarism and foolhardiness in his Vietnam policies. He has said that the President, and I quote him, shows a greater commitment to bombing the children of Asia than to building the human potentials of our own children in America. He has likened our president to Hitler, likened this country to Nazi Germany, and the Republican Party to the Ku Klux Klan. Think of what he must think of you. So that is the way in which George McGovern has appealed to reason in this campaign. Now, as you know, I've been accused on occasion of using strong political rhetoric. <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah. 
But compared to Senator McGovern's venomous rhetoric, my statements look like something out of the pages of Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. During a campaign swing through the Pacific Northwest, Senator McGovern called for the creation of a so-called ethics in government plan to look into charges of improper activities by members of the executive branch of government, including aides of the president. The Simlinger Survey Organization says it's taken a telephone poll which shows that McGovern has cut into President Nixon's huge lead, but only slightly. The agency says that based on a sample of 2,311 persons between September 29th and the 5th of this month, Mr. Nixon has 60.5% of the vote to 21% for McGovern, with 18.5% undecided. Albert Sindlinger, the head of the agency, notes what he calls a surprising 2 and one tenth percent increase in the number of undecided voters from the previous week. When Mr. Nixon led 62 and one-tenth percent to McGovern for 21 and a half, with 16 and one-tenth percent undecided. Sindlinger attributes much of the increase in undecided voters to persons who've changed their minds about sitting out the election, but who haven't yet made up their minds about whom they want for president. The survey agency also says that a poll of some 75,000 junior and high school students conducted by Scholastic magazine showed President Nixon leading with 67% to 25%, for McGovern. Pravda, the Soviet Communist Party newspaper, predicts that